A top toupee. <laughs> toupee. No, it's like a hair extension. No, it's like really good. It like it's like re- no, it's really pretty. <laughs> Ooh, it's so gross. It's so gross. I'll tuck it in the back. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode of Art of the Short, Jory and Bethers take you to New York City, where fantastical thinking may very well lead them to witness psychosis. We'd like to remind you that all episodes of Art of the Short contain explicit content and a masterful amount of spoilers. If you'd like to read the story before entering, a free link is provided in the show notes. Or if you give no f**ks whatsoever, just keep listening. Art of the Short is an interactive literary art installation. We overextend our opinions on short stories and make art of our interpretations. Like, Bethers will attempt to deconstruct a story through the art of the Polaroid. Curiously, all photos developed are of her cats. Stuff like that. Join in the conversation and send us your artwork to add to the gallery at artoftheshort.com and follow the installation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Art of the Short to see what others think of this short story through their art. I'm about to talk to you okay. about your art. Oh, How do you feel about your art this week? How right. was it? Hi, Jory. I'm Hi. about to talk to you about your art. <laughs> My art was good. I had a I had a vision for what I wanted, and I still want that. Like, I actually still want to do that. But I couldn't make it happen with the tools that I had. Mm-hmm. What I did do is very funny and doesn't look like my art. It's a, it's a surprise for me and the audience both. What about you? I mean, I like my art. It's simple. It's to the point. It's simple. It's to the point. <laughs> I like it. I think it's appropriate for the story. I like it. However, I did read this story twice. And the second time I read it, I was like, hmm, I maybe should have spent a little bit more time thinking about this. But I also think just like your immediate response to what you feel like the story is. Yeah, I say just go for it. There's some layers here. That's There's all. some layers for sure. <laughs> I'll be curious to see like what our takes are. I know. I want to see right now. <laughs> My artwork is just like, it's more of like a first impression. It's to the point. It's simple. Yeah. It's simple to the point. To the point. <laughs> Barack <it>. Obama. <laughs> To the point. Simple to the point. That was my impression of you, though. (laughs) (laughs) This week's short story is by fiction writer Otessa Moshveg. When Otessa was 14, she missed the deadline for music camp. So... What did her parents do? They enrolled her in a creative writing camp instead. She claims it was then that, quote, I accepted my destiny. And her work has proven this to be true. Moshfeg's first novel, Eileen, won the Penn Hemingway Award for debut fiction. Her short stories have been published numerous times in Vice, The Paris Review, Granta, The New Yorker, and her second novel, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, earned its place as a New York Times bestseller. When asked about her work, Moshfeg says, quote, I think art is the thing that fixes culture, moment by moment. I don't really feel a reason to exist unless I feel my life has a purpose, which is creating. This week, we read The Beach Boy by Otessa 
Moshfeg. Yeah. This is a story about some New Yorkers in the middle of their lives. They're in their 50s. Yeah, they feel like pretty settled. Like they have very professional jobs mm-hmm. that are fine. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels fine. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine in life. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Fine. Oh, I know what you're saying. Everything is just fine. They have the job. They make the money. They have their apartment. They have all the things people want. One vacation a year. They don't have kids. Yep. yep. It yep. kind of yep. opens with them at a dinner with their friends, like a dinner party. At a dinner, yeah. They've just returned from their 29th anniversary vacation. They went to a tropical island, undisclosed location. Mm -hmm. And it's three couples. And I'm obsessed with their names, so I'd like to read them to you now. I was too. (laughs) They're so good. They're like (laughs) one of the best parts. John and Marsha are the protagonists. So we follow John and Marsha. And then there's old Marty and Barbara. Mm -hmm. Marty and Barb. And then... (laughs) Jerry and Maureen. J and M. John, Marsha, Marty, Barbara, Jerry, and Maureen. (laughs) I love it so much. As soon as it opened with that, I felt like I'm in good hands. Totally. Like kind of the dynamic between (laughs) Marsha and her husband She's kind of like the social, kind of yeah. maybe more of like the life of the party. Yeah. And he likes to like chime in and be like, oh, and mm-hmm. say like little cute like. Yeah, he puts like the little cherry on her Sundays or <laughs> stories or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> They're talking about their vacation and she's like, oh, I mean, the beaches were lovely. Everything was beautiful. And then she'll be like, isn't that right, John? And he'll like say some pithy dumb pun <laughs> and then she'll be a bit embarrassed and carry on. Yeah. Her descriptions are rife with judgment. I couldn't believe my eyes, ears. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to read you just a couple things about do it. Do it, do it. Because just the opening is like, just it, perfect. She says, the ocean was like bathwater. <laughs> the sunset's better than any painting. But then she continues to say, she says this over and over, probably three times. She says, meanwhile, the people all speak English! Exclamation point. Yeah. And it's, it's in uh, italics. Um, And then the author says, the vestiges of colonialism, the poverty, the corruption, it had all depressed her. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then she says, really, one wonders, how can anybody starve in a place like that? There was food everywhere. Fruit on every tree. I just don't understand it. (laughs) (laughs) Like the idea that she's suggesting that a whole community, like a whole nation of people live off the fruit trees is... Cringeworthy. It hurts. Oh my God. (laughs) But the biggest thing that she brings up when it kind of puts a bit of a kink in the works of the like easy banter. Oh yeah. Is that she keeps saying the poverty. We were harassed. Yeah. And then she says the prostitutes. Yeah. There were male prostitutes all along the beach. Don't look them in the eye. Don't talk to them. They would approach us and say, hello, nice people. Like, would you like a massage? Yeah. Yeah, she didn't appreciate being harassed in this manner, basically. (laughs) And you kind of think that that's why she's bringing it up. Like, you kind of think she wants to tell like a sordid, tawdry tale. Right. But she doesn't really get into it. Like, they're like, what do they look like? What were they offering? And she just doesn't even really get into it. She kind of moves on. Yeah. So she brings up her opinions about their culture, their economy. The friends are like, welcome back to civilization. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, yeah, good one. <laughs> um, John and Marsha walk home. They're going to have a little date night on top of their date night. They're going to like watch a movie, exactly. make some popcorn. Marsha's going to take a Tylenol because she has a headache. Yes. 
He starts making some popcorn. She brushes her teeth. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and what happens, Bethany? What happens? She drops dead. She drops dead. <laughs> dear listener, dear reader. We we get like an internal view of it. And it's like she had a splitting pain. She tried to call out for her husband. All she got at was a gasp. And then she's gone and dead on the couch. And he couldn't hear her because he's making popcorn. And then the most horrific part. So sad. Which is that he comes and sits down. I'm assuming maybe the lights are dimmed for the film. That's the only thing I can think. Mames. Yeah. But he's like, here you go, babe. Like, do you want the popcorn? Do you get the movie queued up? And then he like looks and she's like sleeping quote unquote yeah. so he just curls up and also falls asleep yep Ugh. i know it's so terrifying it's terrible and then of course he wakes up the next morning realizes she's dead ambulances Gross. come and you know the body gets taken away cuts to they're at her funeral mm-hmm. and all of her friends are walking up and saying all these amazing things reading these beautiful poems about her we do learn that he hates their friend maureen <laughs> That's the first, like, kind of ruffle in the water that we get is yeah. him being like, I hate that woman. And you're like, oh, okay, John. All right, John has a little opinion about something. <laughs> he's home, he's grieving, and he gets a call from the bodega because she had gotten, like, a disposable camera and taken a roll of film. Yes. And the photos are ready. So he wanders down in his bathrobe in a st- state of uh, dishabille or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and acts very weirdly. Yes. He's basically acting as if he's deaf. Yeah. He's just like brushed over. So he gets the pictures. He's going through them. Yes. And he is thinking to himself in his internal monologue, like, what am I going to do with myself now? It's like, he's just like having fantastical thinking. One of the things that he said that I actually thought was really funny. I'm just going to read it. With Marsha gone, perhaps he could fill his remaining years with criminal pursuits, he thought. <laughs> He was too clumsy to be a cat burglar, but couldn't he stalk someone or vandalize something? Library books? The backseat of taxis? Easiest would be to send death threats to someone he despised. And then he's like, Maureen, perhaps? Maureen. I thought it was really <laughs> funny. He just has a complete psychotic episode. I would say so. Yeah. He goes to the photos, everything's normal, and then he finds like the last photo on the reel. And it's like that half photo that's like half red and half black. Like it's like not half really developed. A, yeah. Yeah. It's not really a photo. But what he sees is he sees a handsome young man on the beach. <laughs> and he's like, wait a minute. How is this possible? Like, what? <laughs> he's now like raging and he's decided he hates his wife. His whole life was a lie. He's been cuckolded. Yes. She's been cheating on him. Their whole relationship. Yeah. The whole 29 years is what he's determined from this photo. Yeah. And like he's regretting his whole life. Like he's thinking that it was all a waste because she was actually out there pursuing what she wanted while he did nothing but basically cow to her once. To the point where, like, he found a wishbone in his pocket from, like, years before that he was going to bring home to his wife. His wish was always that she gets her wish. Because then we both win. That's what he says. Well, if I I just wish for what old Marsha wishes for, then we both win. Yeah. And then he, like, spirals out of control. And you're like, this dude has some dark shit going on. Yes. (laughs) He does. Next thing we know, as readers, he wakes up. On the island, he's flown back there. Now he's in a storm warning, whatever this tropical storm is. And he buys himself a bottle of whiskey, drinks it till he's sloppy. And he decides he's going to go down to the beach, find what are called the beach boys, which are the male prostitutes. And he says, do with them whatever my wife did with them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
he wanders down to the beach, strips off all of his clothes. And again, this is a storm. There's a storm warning, like a tropical storm warning. Like they're boarding up windows and stuff. Going into the water by any means. No. (laughs) He goes out into the water naked, turns around, waves to one of the beach boys. Next thing he knows, he's being dragged in because he got sucked under. And this beach boy has saved him. He like looks up into his eyes and like reaches out, touches his ankle. And he's like, he's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And then the beach boy just wanders away. Yeah. It says, the boy stood and stared for a while, then yawned, turned, walked away. It was clear to him and to the other beach boys watching from their perch in the dunes that the old man wasn't carrying any money. The end. Like, the, what, a, what a way to end a story. <laughs> Well, I have to say, like, I don't really know how to articulate my feelings about this story. (laughs) Yeah, that's her for you. Yes, it's a story about a couple and their life. For better or worse, the wife is cheating on the husband. It seems recognizable, like, to a story that we've heard or seen. Except for... Is he gay? That's so interesting. I was not thinking that at all. Is that what this whole story is about? Because that's, I think, so interesting. Definitely bisexual, at the very least, Mm. because... He says right in the beginning that, like, he wanted to know what the sex workers had to offer. Like, Yeah. And he meant it. He wasn't joking. In the middle of his mental break where he's like, I can be free and I can pursue whatever my heart desires. Yeah. His heart desires flying thousands of miles to be with a beautiful young man. Right. And I guess he is, like, Mm -hmm. an older generation. Yeah. We grew up in, like, people are openly bisexual and everything that's cool. Like, no one cares. Like, maybe he's just repressed. That's what I'm saying. Like, more attention should be drawn to this. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention to that part of it at all. Oh, my God. It's all I could think about. I couldn't stop thinking of, like, Mm -hmm. the exploitative racist tourism that happens. Oh, yeah. I wrote that. I have it written here very in big letters, tourism, but also that their entire economy is built around it, so they can't function without it. Exactly. But we're destroying the thing that we're there to see, and it's so exploitive to the people and the nature and every part of the system. And then just gets perpetuated when these people who are, I'm guessing they're white. Of course they're white. It's not specified in the story, just by the way. No, but there's no question. (laughs) The things that I couldn't get past were like, they're like, free to express their mm-hmm. like racist behavior towards this entire culture, their customs, their beliefs. And then their friends are all like agreeing and kind of encouraging all the sentiments that they have. And then they like all assume that these like quote unquote uncivilized people, and I use those mm-hmm. words on purpose mm-hmm. because they say it. It's offensive. Yeah. yeah. They like just assume that these people want to like adopt like American ideals. Mm-hmm. And that's so fucking offensive. It's so maddening and offensive (laughs) well the other relationship i wanted to mention that i think shines some light on that they have a doorman yes um in their building eduardo and eduardo they're really kind to eduardo and he's there for john when marcia's body's being wheeled out like he feels like an extension of their family right yeah and they've lived in this building for decades like that's how that's pretty typical i think yes um we get a little taste of a conversation marcia has with eduardo on their walk home where she's like, I've been speaking to the management and we're going to do something about this. We can't have you standing your full shift. This is torture. I'm going to have John speak to them. (laughs) Like the idea that she calls it torture. Yeah. The idea that she won't deal with it, but she's going to have her husband deal with it. 
Like, it's just picture perfect. And then he's just making small talk with them. Like, are you tired? Are you jet lagged? And she's like, oh, yeah, da, 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 da. And he's like, when I go home, yeah. it takes me days to recover. So he's pointing out that this island nations are nations like the one that they're referring to. Again, we don't know where Eduardo's from and we don't know where they went are home to someone. That's their real culture, their real people. Yeah. So for you to just dismiss it as like, the food was so good, the seafood was so good, the sunsets were so beautiful. However, these people need to be better <laughs> and more like me. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> it's just so dismissive. Can I just say, meanwhile, John can have a fucking psychotic break, mm-hmm. have like a game plan, sees them through, and he... Goes back and he's excused from everything. Excused. He's totally fine. He's normal. Mm-hmm. These people are still like, their lives could be better. <laughs> they could be civilized. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you had any doubts that they had like privilege. <laughs> right. And also I will say on my questioning John's sexuality front. Yeah. Like he was there to have sex with a young boy. Like, I don't know how we're not dealing with that. Like for John's world, for John's life and their friend group. That's hugely scandalous. Yeah. And while he's up on the podium, like trying to give like some sentiments at his wife's funeral, he has like a breakdown and he calls for his secretary. And the secretary is Eduardo and Eduardo like comes and carries him away. So like in the absence of his wife, the comfort that he wants is from his male butler. Just saying. Gosh, I really didn't think about that. Going back to the funeral, like, he has, like, a spiritual death there, like, himself. Mm-hmm. It's pretty literal, like, what happens to the human body when the human body dies. So he's at this funeral, and he goes up, like Bethany was just saying, and he, like, can't express his feelings. Yeah. Let me just read what this says. He choked and coughed. The wild thumping of his heart stopped. He belched loudly from the depths of his gut as though releasing some dark spirit that had been lodged down there his whole life. And then it goes on to say, John rose and walked up the aisle to the bathroom at the back of the chapel. He blew his nose for a while in the stall, urinated, defecated, then flushed the broken wishbone that I had mentioned earlier down the toilet. So like literally he died. Like that's what happens to a human body when you die. And then all of his wishes, anything that was tethered to like his former life, he flushed down the toilet. So I don't know. Dude was free to live his wildest dreams. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I also just wanted to say on the wishbone front that like, what a perfect image of like how childish he is. Because wishbone breaking is for children. That's an activity for children. Don't you think? I mean, I guess. It is. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know any adults who do that. And like just how not in his own life and in his own body he's been his whole life. Yeah. I think that all of them are the same way. They're all like very naive to what is really happening around them and it's not informed. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, of course. (laughs) The last thing I wanted to share with you just quickly is this great title and opening line from the Los Angeles Times. Oh, okay. This was published on its own for The New Yorker, but then also um, in a collection of her short stories called Homesick for Another World. This article is called The Art of Disgust Mm. and the works of Otessa Moshveg. And this is how it opens. It's written by a woman, Alyssa Chappelle. Okay. That sound you hear? 
packs of barking dogs, screaming sirens echoing through the hallowed halls of the literary patriarchy. That's Otessa Moschweg and her debut collection of stories setting off the alarm. Unrepetently ambitious female (laughs) author. Unsympathetic female characters. Ghastly hygiene. (laughs) Those all had exclamation points. (laughs) Yeah, then it goes on to say, Mashveg was chiefly known for her nervy short stories, which, like her eponymous novel, are peopled with self-obsessed, almost comically unlikable characters and buoyed by a guffawing nihilism, a sense of humor as black as a bleeding ulcer. Oh my God, perfect description. So thank you, Alyssa, for that. Can we just like rewind this episode and just say that? Like we, that's like what we meant to say. That's what I meant to say the whole time. Beathers, Beepers, Donners, Peters. That's me. That's you. (laughs) Uh, What would you rate this? Uh, My instinct is to give it four out of five popcorns. Okay. But just because of the shocking nature of a couple of the shocking turns, I'm going to give it five out of five popcorns. Oh, goodness. I was going to give it a four out of five too. (laughs) I'm going to stick with four out of five though. Yeah, good for you. Four out of five popcorns. Yeah. Yeah. I just really appreciate her perspective and her description of humans and her like cutting razor sharp class divide um, analysis and critique. I I just love it. I I eat it up. Can't get enough of it. Thank you, Otessa. have it here mm-hmm. i have it folks i have it here mm-hmm. i've got I've it got it and got my eyes on it what i'm seeing is <laughs> oh, okay this is perfect this is perfect i'm telling you this is perfect <laughs> so we have a sketch usually i'm the sketcher <laughs> bethany sketched something mm-hmm. it is a sofa <laughs> like the love seat sofas it's a love seat <laughs> on the left side there is a Bucket of popcorn. Mm-hmm. On the right side, we get a little sophisticated. We get a little New Yorker <laughs> action. There's a stack of magazines. The New Yorker. <laughs> a little winkety winkers. That's pretty perfect. I think I feel pretty good about it. I love this. I love it too. But I will tell you what I intended to do and how I ended up here, which is okay. just that I got this vision of this red and white, like, like movie theater, old timey popcorn bucket. Totally. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was like a very cartoony, mm-hmm. like kind of like almost like cute, like kawaii looking cartoon of a big popcorn. And I wanted it to fill the whole piece. Yeah. Um, and I wanted it to be super bright and super cartoony. And then I did not have red anything, red marker, oh. red crayon, <laughs> nothing. I had no red oil pastel, nothing. And so I pivoted to this scene because I just thought it was just perfection and so horrifying of like... Oh, so horrifying. Not knowing your partner is dead and waking up on their dead body. It's horrifying. Mm -hmm. But it's also kind of like campy. Like that whole scene and then the way that he acts during his mental break, I found it all kind of campy. Like, because they're just all kind of over the top. Like, they're all kind of just turned up to... 
12 a little bit. Agreed. And so I just liked the idea that it is cinematic. So like sitting down to watch a movie, I liked that scene. And I also thought I would put like these, this couple would read The New Yorker. Uh. Hundred percent. Like they for sure have a huge stack of them. They are the audience. Yes. They're also the audience of the New Yorker short stories. Yeah. Like they're also who get to write these stories. They're both the author and the protagonists of these stories. So she knows yeah. all of that. Yeah. She's hip to this situation. It's yeah. all a big wink. So I thought I would give a little tribute to that. Yeah. As well. Pretty great. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna look at yours here. Oh, we've got like a chartreuse green, bright limey green, <laughs> very bright backdrop. Yeah. And then we've got in the center a wishbone. Yep. And it says, do what you wish. Oh, that's just like a little, it's a little message from Jory. Simple to the point. Simple. Listen, to life the point. is too short. Give no fucks about what other people think. <laughs> do what you have to do to like. I be love this. Happy. This is what I hoped is that you would have like a sincere. Well, of course, I'm going reaction, to do and it. I would call it like a campy winky. <laughs> like I really hoped that we would have these two different reactions. Like I love that. Well, I can't not because I can't. I can't. I cannot help it when people aren't like able to live their fucking mm-hmm. lives that they want to live. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't handle it. So, and that was my first impression of the story, which again, like I said, I read it, I read it again and probably would have done something a little bit more complex the second time around, but the bone is beautiful. Like it's a beautiful <laughs> shape. You know, it you is. Don't it's even really have pleasing to, say to that. the eye. It is pleasing to the eye. Okay. Well, you don't even have to say that, but I will say though, everyone should just do what they want. Do what you want. <laughs> don't give a fuck about social norms or <laughs> decorum. Just do you, dude. Just do you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. On the next episode of Art of the Short, Little Shorty, we read Escalator by Dan Sanders. As always, a free link to this short story is in the show notes for you. Oh, and we'd love to see what you think of these short stories. Like, really, 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 really. <laughs> so please send us your art. And to learn how, go to artoftheshort.com. And remember to follow the installation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for exclusive content and to see everyone's art. Oh yeah. Hey Bethany. Hmm. Bye. Bye. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes, 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 Um, totally.